So hello everybody, welcome to the podcast Chaos Theory, and um, this is the first episode of this podcast, and in this podcast we just talk about random topics. Today, alongside me is my dad, we will be talking about the latest trending topic, and that is coronavirus. We will be sharing our thoughts and opinions on the on this very, very pertinent issue. So welcome to the podcast, Dad. How are you feeling? Okay, thank you. You know, this outbreak of coronavirus is not actually, you know, in Lemon's view, uh, it would be like, you know, when people lose resistance to this kind of virus. It is not that the virus has come suddenly. It was already there in nature, but, you know, people have, people could really fight against it or resist it. But nowadays, you know, people live super life, super food, and, you know, uh, I mean, everything very fresh and very, you know, germ-free. This kind of, you know, uh, lifestyle might have, you know, been uh, one of the factors of, uh, you know, coronavirus breakout. Yeah, that is... That is pretty, yeah, that, that, that sounds pretty right. As a doctor, all, all that I can say about it is that, is that I think um, they are probably making a big, I don't know, they're probably making it a, a bigger issue than it is. Sure, it's a strong virus. and um, However, this is not the first time that such an occurrence has taken place. Years before, we, we had the SARS outbreak also in China, I guess. So, the, I guess coronavirus problem is much uh, is much bigger, is much worse than before. But but I suppose in a way we shouldn't be too surprised by it because um, you know viral viral infections they can become contagious. The most common virus which affects us is the flu virus influenza and um, you see that that virus it keeps mutating every three three or four three or four or six years and then yeah and then then um, and then then um, new or yeah it could it becomes a problem so the coronavirus is um yeah it is kind of um, unexpected and probably no one imagined that it would be affecting the world on this scale. But again, I, I guess there's nothing to be too surprised about. Okay. Um, uh, look, uh, look the other other aspect of the problem. Uh, people are so scared. You know, the entire world is now standstill, and you know. Uh, flights have stopped moving and markets have, you know, locked down. And, you know, this is absolutely, you know, nonsense to me because, you see, if you do not face it, if you quarantine the entire world for this virus, I think we are uh, actually uh, avoiding to adjust with this virus, adapting to this virus. It's something like that to me. And also about the the China origin theory, like this virus, this virus has, has come has come around. I know, you know, um, they, they've been associating this with the with the eating of with the with the with the 
with the um with with the selling of wildlife products and things like that i i i i kind of wonder how really how really coherent and how really sound this um this theory is and um i don't know it it it, it seems a little bit too convenient for me what do you think yeah this is also another aspect of it but you know you see uh, people say i mean uh, your theory out of china coronavirus theory i mean it is not that you know the virus doesn't exist uh, elsewhere outside china it, it does exist in other places also but then we the way it has uh, you know taken place now uh, it is more of fear and it is more of you see um i mean uh, saving a, a nation for example uh, the J- japanese nation you know if you look at you know uh, their recipes their food habits nowadays it shows that you know they take too much you know pure things you know and when you are actually you know living with pure things anything you know uh, i mean which is actually uh, contaminated or little bit of you know uh, with germs and these are actually becoming what they are actually destroying their own you know natural resistance to it yeah that's a very good point and um but but you know when you look at the economic I mean no, no matter the origin no matter the cause of the outbreak but the economic complications but the effects that this that this outbreak has had is really pretty immense you know life has been life has really come to a standstill in china in not only in china but also in italy and 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 in iran i guess so um the the economy too is also is also threatened from this from from the coronavirus outbreak so i think um I think the one lesson which we, which we could learn from this is that the world is such an inter interconnected place where what what affects one country what affects one place it it also indirectly or directly affects i mean everything else in the world so i mean um uh, this i don't know about this but the virus um i mean um the shelf life of the of this of this outbreak is probably is probably like um probably maximum two or three months and life should probably uh, come come to normalcy after that but i mean what could we expect the economic and and the, and the other i mean i mean um and the other um <clears throat> and the other complications from it what do you think okay i mean being a political scientist i would like to relate the issue with you know politics the entire world is now you know uh, suffering from inflation suffering from you know economic downturn and then countries do not know they're uh, they're actually puzzled you know how to divert the you know issue uh, from the minds of the people and then you know coronavirus has become uh, you know i mean fertile issue for them to raise it and then you know people's mind would be uh, diverted very quickly this has happened uh, in many countries like india like united states of america so that's it mm, that's really cuz i cuz i was just um, watching the news yesterday 
I mean, uh, like you were talking about it earlier, Jeff Bezos, he lost uh, a great deal of his money in just one day due to this coronavirus, um, coronavirus-influenced economic downturn. So, um, uh, I mean, I mean the... I guess the U.S. government has taken steps to to really tackle this issue. That they're probably providing stimulus, economic stimulus. I, I don't know how that works, but I guess it works. So, um, um, but but I think I mean at least temporarily the um, I mean business business transactions have really t- taken a hit, and um, we don't actually know how long this will continue. But um, yeah. And um, yeah, I guess I guess it will affect business worldwide. You know, in my uh, in my view, coronavirus has become the real kryptonite for the businessman, for the businessmen who are really exploiting the entire world, like uh, you know uh, Bill Gates and Bezos, and then uh, in India. Mukesh Ambani, and they have to lose because they are they are actually you know exploiting the world you know without any you know obstacles, and so you know nature has perhaps to me you know nature has taken a step to stop this kind of you know I mean uh, I mean uh, this um, property and fortune centered you know world. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good uh, that's a good. That's a good take, but now that this has happened, now that coronavirus has already already occurred, this is not something which we can um, go back to and and change it. But I, I suppose we could learn lessons from this um, from this um, from this coronavirus outbreak. So, uh, how, how do you think that we should prevent against such diseases in the future? No, uh, this is very clear in my mind that you know. We should be uh, adopting to the nature. We should not destroy the nature. We should keep uh, the animals, you know, uh, of this uh, of this world. And then we should also uh, protect uh, other species. You know, it is not that we should protect ourselves only. Man protects man, and this is absolutely one-sided, you know, approach. We should be very, you know, I mean, all-inclusive. As a pro proactive, you know, role towards you know other species, other you know living beings, and you know the world, the way it is growing now. Of course, they don't have any, uh, I mean, optimistic ideas. I mean, uh, just avoiding the bad, going for the good. This kind of attitude should should be you know grown inside the minds of the people in the world. Mm, that's a. Mm, I do agree with what with whatever you've said. Um, yeah, so I, I think one thing that which really bugs me is that um, people these days, they, they take so much of processed food, um, food, food you can just buy from the supermarket, um, stuffed food, and that isn't very good food, and um, I think um, in general, people people's health are really deteriorating, so maybe... Um, Maybe their abilities to resist diseases has has really has really has really gone down, and probably I guess that's one reason why coronavirus has really really um, has really dealt such a strong blow. And I think and, and, and I think this should be a kind of a wake up call for from for people everywhere 
to that 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 it is very important that it is very it is very essential to to lead a healthy life to to eat well to exercise and also to probably think good as well to to, to not take so much of stress and to really to really emphasize on on leading a good life i think yes but you see um if we just go against the nature natural laws you know we are going to make a very you know difficult world and a world where you know uh, uh, it would be very difficult for human beings to survive today it is coronavirus and uh, tomorrow there will be another virus which would be killing millions and so this is how the nature is actually taking um, in revenge Uh, against the you know bad human beings those who are always self-centered self you know i mean wealth and and so on yeah that is right uh, well um i suppose we have talked about coronavirus for quite a while now we could um we could do you want to talk about do you want to talk about any other topic because is is getting a little bit boring i guess just talking about coronavirus okay i think uh, you know it is not bad to talk about coronavirus at the moment because people are so scared people are so homebound homebound you know, this has created a lot of you know i mean uh, schools have shut down and then you know theater halls have shut down and things are actually how long it will go on that is why i think you know we should really uh, i mean give suggestions give you know some ideas how they should really uh, i mean get rid of coronavirus either it is to adapting you know uh, adjusting with the virus uh, adapting to the virus or you know i mean killing the virus and killing the virus won't actually that w- that won't be possible as well because there is no medicine for that yeah so Okay so now you are a political scientist so i mean now i don't know the name of the podcast is chaos theories so we will be jumping from topic to topic pretty randomly i think the next topic which i want to talk about is that your subject since you are a political scientist i just wanted to know what your subject really deals with like could you please give an outline of the i don't know about your subject political science well if you ask me political science is a vast you know area and you know we actually specify being a university teacher you know i have uh, actually my own areas like you know i teach political theory and been teaching political theory for over the last 25 years and also we have a region uh, i mean problem problem you know uh, region region called northeast india and i have introduced a new paper called you know northeast politics so if uh, you know i'm asked if i am really you know requested i can uh, share some ideas about political theories modern political theories political philosophy and the nature of politics in northeast india yeah yeah that's um, that's what i want to probably talk about because i mean um i mean you you are quite an expert on the on the issues of northeast so i mean i mean for the last many years what do you think are what, what do you think have have been the core issues in northeast politics you see if you just you know try to catch up with the history of northeast you will see that northeast became a region after partition 
and uh, in fact uh, you know uh, this northeast and northwest frontier which is now in pakistan uh, i mean these two frontiers were you know uh, very difficult you know terrains and then uh, these uh, these you know frontiers were very difficult to administer so you know they have uh, introduced in those days you know inner line permit and so on which still you know uh, continues to exist uh, i mean uh, for some states in northeast and you know history says that you know after partition you know borders became very distinct and people mo movement of the people you know across the borders became very difficult and then we have one issue called you know migration illegal migration from neighboring countries like bangladesh myanmar and then you know bhutan and so on so this uh, immigration became you know uh, it it has it has by produced you know some other issues like ethnic conflict you know ethnocentrism you know and then uh, uh, population imbalance in this region yeah as being a northeasterner myself as we are both northeasterners i think we can bear witness to all that but you know um northeast is always kind of seen lagging behind the other parts of India, mainstream India, in terms of development, in terms of infrastructure, infrastructure and economic facilities. I mean, according to you, why is that? Why is Northeast still behind India, despite getting pretty good amount of see, government funds? See, there is a long-standing, you know, I mean, blame over the center that this region, northeastern region, uh, has been kept isolated for long, and you know it was also disconnected in the in the sense that you know communication system was not good, except one railway you know track. We don't have you know many other tracks, and then you know as far as uh, air communication is concerned, it was not well connected with the other places of India, and you know as you have rightly pointed out the infrastructure you know infrastructure you know capacity infrastructure you know uh, infrastructural development in northeast india hadn't taken place the way it has taken place in mainstream india the way it has taken place in other places in, in india but then you know there is another issue that you know business ha ha had not grown here one of the reason reasons is that you know these uh, I mean, you you don't actually make profits in this uh, in this region because you don't have raw materials. Uh, raw materials uh, could not be you know uh, could not be exploited, and so on. Hmm. But I think um, business apart, we know um, economically Northeast is not very sound. But I think also is also is also the culture because uh, we have a. We look different from the other Indians. We have a different culture. I mean, you know, sometimes we 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 hear of uh, very very disturbing news. You know, northeasterners being harassed in mainstream India. I mean, it's very evident that the culture is different. And do you think that um, there hasn't been enough efforts to really integrate these two different cultures? Uh, given the cultural, you know, uh, background of northeast. It is really, you know, uh, very northeast itself is as diverse as the uh, entire country, because in northeast, uh, within northeast, we, you know, there are uh, innumerable, you know, tribal groups who speak distinct languages, and one language cannot be, you know, related to the other. So, you know, uh, 
this is one example of uh, you know a diverse culture in northeast and then you know to integrate i mean in intra you know unity was never there and it is almost like you know uh, the old uh, the old you know proverb says that you know in northeast you know people are like frogs you know jumping out of uh, their frogs i mean like uh, you know they can never uh, i mean integrate they can never uh, unite themselves and as far as the center is concerned you know there had been little you know i mean uh, uh, sort of theoretical approach was not really right uh, i can give you one example when uh, you know our prime first prime minister of india jawaharlal nehru sent one expert called vera elwin to investigate you know how northeast people could be integrated to the mainstream india he came he saw he he ha, he you know participated with the people and then he has written back uh, to nehru reported back to nehru saying that you know mr nehru it is so difficult you have to leave themselves you know leave them alone and you know you cannot you cannot just integrate them because you know you want to integrate them as one single nation which is not actually possible because you know they they are quite different and this is in fact you know like making rose into a lotus so you have to leave them alone let them grow themselves and the way they like this what you know this kind of approach was really you know not followed and later on you know force was really used coercion was used you know to integrate them and so we have uh, you know thereafter you know encountered with insurgency just confronting the you know coercive approach to the region yeah talking of insurgency i mean um there have been insurgent groups throughout northeast india but um like um you 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 have said just now how how that how that came to place the the factor which really gave rise to insurgency because you just gave a bit of a bit of an outline about how the insurgency movement um growed and how it declined no actually see the history of insurgency is not uh, very old in northeast it is soon after you know indian partition has had taken place in 1947 and in 1948 uh, mr fizo from nagaland you know he uh, went to delhi asking you know a separate nagalim a separate state for nagaland and in fact he was given a very bad reply you know uh, I, I still have, you know, um, in some evidence, documents, you know, Mr. Gandhi told him, you go back and become Indian. And that was the reason when he came back, you know, when he came back, he was uh, so frustrated that, you know, he didn't, didn't get a satisfactory answer from the Indian leaders. And so he first initiated the movement. NNC Naga, Naga National Council was first formed and this is the uh, mother you know insurgency organization in northeast india and from thereafter you know we have seen you know uh, i mean a lot of other you know ethnic groups they have started you know insurgency movements with their own you know i mean uh, demands 
Yeah. So, I mean, at, at the present moment, I guess, it's not that so much of a big problem as it was before insurgency. But I think there was a time, I, I, I guess around 20 years back or around 10 years back, when it was a very, very, a very, um, a very big problem, insurgency. So, I, I wasn't born during that time. You, you weren't there. Could you give your own, could you give your own personal experience how, how, how it was to live amid insurgency? It was, it was very, very, you know, uh, bad and then a lot of massacres have taken place a lot of killings fight between the Indian army and the insurgent groups uh, uh, like NSCN you know NSCN um, Muiva group and Kaflam group you know uh, I remember you know newspapers used to be you know uh, full of uh, I mean insurgency news you know conflict news in northeast India and you know uh, situation was as such that people cannot move freely and you know there's a stretch of you know 200 kilometers from Agartala, Tripura's capital Agartala to you know uh, Dharmanagar which is about 200 kilometers this stretch you know used to be you know controlled by escorts I mean if vehicles will move and in front of the vehicles will have the army escorts and backside of the vehicles will be having army escorts. So this kind of, you know, situation was really uh, not normal and people used to lead uh, abnormal life. People used to restrict their movements and then, you know, night curfews used to be imposed and so on. You know, these are some of the, you know, reflections of insurgency movements in Northeast India. Hmm. So, um, th so that's insurgency and which is, not so much of a problem anymore at the current moment, but I think um, I think all of us, all of the northeastern states, we can agree one on a common uh, on, a, on a common issue, and that is corruption. You know, um, ministers, the politicians, really misappropriating money, not doing enough for the for their own people. What is your take on this corruption yes, problem? Um it's a very interesting, you know, I mean, point. And then, you know, uh, if people are interested in anything, they are interested in the kind of, you know, uh, nature of corruption we come across in Northeast India. I will give you some examples, you know, in Northeast India, after partition, so many regional political parties have grown, like in Tripura, TU, Jazz was, you know, a regional political party in Assam, Assam Gono Parishad was a regional political party, and you know, Hinuitrap is another you know, different political party in uh, Meghalaya. Like, likewise, we have in Mizoram also, we have uh, Laldenga's you know, MNF, uh, Mizo National, uh, you know, front, uh, Mizo National, you know, front. They and they when they have come to you know, power, uh, you know, they. Uh, people thought that, you know, they'll be having uh, good governance, they'll be having some compassion, you know, and then they'll be having respect from each other. But it hasn't turned out like that. Surprisingly, you know, these, uh, uh, I mean, uh, insurgent groups, uh, those who have taken over, you know, power later on, became more corrupt than, uh, you know, anybody else. And that is very frustrating and people are losing faith in this kind of, you know, I mean, the nature of corruption, you know, I mean, money laundering, you know, uh, I mean, having given so much of money by the center, even notice today, you know, doesn't look like any other place than, you know, it was, uh, I mean, uh, if you compare developments, developments, you know, uh, 
party is absolutely you know nil in northeast india mm, so we can agree that it's a big problem now what would be your solution to this problem what do you think can be done okay there is a there is a, a need of you know transformation of uh, mind transformation of you know Uh, behavior for example and there should be a little bit of you know um compassion and then you know i mean uh, what do you call that i am um, altruism yeah altruism is required which uh, which i believe will never take place hmm yeah so And also, you know, talking about this um, ethnocentrism in Northeast India, we have so many different ethnicities, so many different tribes, with, with their own very, very unique cultures and languages. And I think, you know, um, this this is probably something which the mainland Indians don't really know much about, or the, the or the rest of the world. That you know, we do have a bit of a culture conflict. Not Northeasterners and the other Indians, but we also have a very intra-conflict. Like you know, um, I, I think there is the Kuki Naga problem. I mean, I mean, likewise, you know, non, the tribes. You know, we, we we're not very. We do kind of. Um, we don't get along with each other, and sometimes it becomes a bit too ugly. So, what what is your take on this intra-conflict? Yes, intra intra-conflict, intra. You know. Uh, uh, ethnic ethnic problems actually uh, dates back to uh, the history of uh, reorganization of northeastern region north assam province for example you know in uh, before partition uh, uh, soon after partition also until uh, 1980s um, uh today's mizoram was you know the lusa hills under you know within assam province and then you know today's arunachal pradesh was northeast frontier agency naga hills in you know, today's nagaland were known as the naga hills within assam province and then you know after partition in 1956 uh, uh states reorganization act was you know uh, uh, promulgated and then you know uh, it has it has started creating uh, states new states in uh, within assam within northeast india and then you know as i said you know if you look at uh, the uh, tribal groups in northeast india the diversity of you know tribal groups in northeast india as if each will have a different state and that is actually you know partly anthropologists who have been working on this region who have been working on this people tribal people so called tribal people of northeast india they have started giving new identities to certain groups you know which were earlier uh, were you know regarded uh, subgroups of uh, some big tribes and you know this way uh, intra conflict intra you know i mean uh, uh, ethnic identities you know got split and then you know problem started for example the borderland uh, demand in assam today is actually you know a kind of uh, this uh, sort of this you know uh, sort of uh, intra ethnic conflict uh. <clears throat> So I think um, it's, as, as, I, as I check out the time for which we've been talking, it's been already 30 minutes. And, and I guess we'd, if we talk further, it's going to be 
longer and the audience may not, may not like it. So I think with that, we come to the end of this episode. <clears throat> this is the first episode of the podcast Chaos Theory and you are listening to me. My name is Sankal Chakma and, and the person I was talking to is my father, Gautam Chakma, who is a professor, has been teaching political science for the last 20, 20 odd years and um, he is he is, I guess, an expert on his subject. So, yeah. So, this has been our first episode, and thanks for listening to this podcast, and I hope you come back, and we'll, we will be making more episodes, and yeah, see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.